Well, good morning, Sunrise. Welcome to church this fourth Sunday, I guess, in Advent, the week before Christmas. It's so good to be with you worshiping. I guess you guys are the brave souls that traversed the winter snows this morning. Um, so I'm guessing we're going to have a few more worshiping with us online today. So welcome to you guys in service. Welcome to you guys online. It is wonderful to be here with you. <clears throat> but as we get ready to worship, um, for the call to worship this Sunday, like we've been doing the past um, a few weeks since the first week of Advent, we've been doing a call to worship that is uh, kind of goes along with each Sunday of Advent. So this Sunday will be the fourth. So why don't you guys go ahead and stand with us. Um, we'll do this like we've been doing. I'll be the leader. You guys will be the all. And so I'll start. You guys can read the second line. Here we go. Anticipation grows within us. There is no power nor ruler who does not owe their allegiance to you. There is no universe that is without purpose, no world that cannot name its true leader. Every man, woman, and child is made to dance within your law of love. In this fourth week of Advent, we sing with the prophets. In this fourth week of Advent, we shout with the children. In this fourth week of Advent, we pray with believers around the world. King of ages, we are broken in our understanding of loving leadership and have lost the capacity to understand the ways of a benevolent sovereign. Show us your face. Teach us your ways. Elevate the law of love among us and help us to receive your guidance on our ashamed planet. We prepare our hearts in this Advent season by praying, listening, singing, and responding to your rightful kingship in our lives and in your world. With the ancients who awaited you, we say, King of kings and Lord of lords, come quickly to us, write your world, and spark the dawn of new creation. Amen. Let's sing together.
was too certain for shepherds in the fields as they lay in fields where
worship you this morning. We're so thankful that we can be here together to sing your praises. To think about next week when we celebrate Christmas morning, when Jesus is coming to the earth as a baby, the miracle that it is. So God, this morning and this week, may it be on our minds the journey that the wise men took, that the shepherds came, that the miracle that happened on Christmas morning. May we be filled with that sense of awe. And maybe we filled with gratitude this week as well. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We sing your praises. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Hey, good morning, Sunrise. There you are. If you're new here today, we're glad you came, despite the snow. And we have some things to help you become part of Sunrise. We hope you'll take advantage of the QR code that are in the back of the chairs or up there, if you can fast enough. <laughs> um, and then there's a connect table out in the lobby, the foyer. Uh, so stop there. We have a gift for you, and we'll help you get connected, and we hope you'll come back and be part of our Sunrise family. Good morning, Mary. She's out there in internet world this morning. <laughs> um, I want to thank everybody who leaned into praying for and encouraging Mary. She went through hip replacement on Tuesday morning. And uh, just awesome to be part of a family. The best word for me to say thank you is to tell you what she said Friday night to me from her healing nest. The difference with Sunrise is that people know us and care about what happens to us. Isn't that cool? So from both of us, thank you for letting us be one of the least of these. So, now announcements. This Saturday is Christmas Eve service. It sounds like fun. We hope you'll come and be a part of it. There'll be warm drinks, cookies, and worship on Christmas Eve. Starts at 4.30 right here, so we hope you can come and be a part of that. Um, right after church today, there'll be a Facebook post. If you hop on the church's Facebook page, you'll find a post that you can share with family and friends. If they're looking for something special to do at Christmas this year, you can uh, share that with them, and hopefully they'll come and be a part of our family on Christmas Eve. Next Sunday, it's Christmas Day, Christmas morning, a little bit different. We're not going to live stream, but we will be here. Pastor Dennis has a, a teaching prepared for us. And there'll be worship and music and all that good stuff. So if you can join us next Sunday morning, please do so. We will send an email out. If you're not able to be this, we'll send an email out with a devotional um, that Pastor Dennis will record and some scripture that you can share with your family there in, on Christmas morning. And now listen to one of my favorite Christmas anthems. In the first light of a new day, no one knew he had arrived. Things continued as they had been while a newborn softly cried. But the heavens, wrapped in wonder, knew the meaning of his birth. In the weakness of a baby, they knew God had come to earth. Hear the angels as they're singing on the morning of his birth. But how much greater will our song be when he comes again to earth? When he comes back, when he comes back to rule the earth. Praise him. It's Byron. So a couple, couple more things before we, we have our greeting time and dismiss the, the kids this morning. Um, this is not on my notes, but there is actually a move among the youth to uh, have Byron read the Bible to them. She's like, and I've kind of decided that's what I want my devotions to be, is I'll just call and be like, you know, John 4, and go. And you can, you can do that. So, no, super thankful uh, for, for today. A couple, couple of things real quick. We, we have um, um, uh, one more, one more t uh, uh, family to greet and to welcome as as partners, but just, just want to go ahead and quick uh, make a quick announcement 
Uh, we are one week away, so we have one more week in 2022. Those of you that received that, you know, uh, well-thought-out email that I wrote a couple of weeks ago, or some of you, I won't say who, but somebody in the director's meeting said, did you send out an email, Dennis? And I'm like, yes. They're like, I must have not read it. <laughs> if you haven't read it, read the end-of-year email because there are a few things in there, and one of the things that are in there that we remind everybody of is that you may not know this, but it takes money to run this place. And uh, so if you have money at the end of the year that's burning a hole in your pocket that you would like to give to Jesus, we would really, really uh, appreciate that. We're really excited about what the Lord is up to and about what He's doing. We're excited about the people that He's bringing. We're excited about the vision that God is is giving uh, to be a church that actually makes disciples and then multiplies disciples out in the world. Um, And and, and we are just thankful for you and everything that you do and all that you uh, mean to us. So with that in mind, if we could have uh, Nick and Erica Knabel stand, please. Um, Nick and Erica were the last couple uh, that were, were a part of the partnership class a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I said last week, you guys, I, I, I had everybody else stand and I said, you know, and for some unknown reason, after being exposed to me for an hour and a half, they said, sign me up for some of this. And so we are so thankful for you. We're thankful for your service. We're thankful for, 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 for your gifts. And we're just thankful that you are here to, to call this um, your church family and your church home. And so as we're being dismissed, uh, as the children are being dismissed and we're going to take our time to greet, I would invite uh, everyone who would like to just go and give a warm welcome to, to Nick and Erica and the kids. And with that, we're going to take a few minutes. Um, we can dismiss the kids now to their classes and uh, take about three minutes and act like you like the people around you. All right, go. Your seats, please. All right, so this morning, uh, we're going to be looking uh, week four of, of Advent, and we're going to be talking about this idea of living the fifth act. So if uh, you've been around for the last several weeks, you have realized that over the last several weeks, over the last couple of months during this fall season, we've actually been talking about attempting to answer the question, what does it mean to be, to be biblical? And as we have laid out, I sort of see the Bible uh, laid out in six movements, right? So uh, Calvin taught me there was four. I added two because I'm just that kind of a person. But the reality is the Bible tells us a simple story of God's creation, of humanity's fall, of the the promises that God gave pursuing His lost and wayward creation until finally we were rescued through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And upon Jesus' ascension, His last words to His disciples were that He would make us witnesses, and we then have been given a mission to proclaim God's goodness and God's finished work in Christ on the cross and the the long-awaited perfect fulfillment of the kingdom through the consummation of the new heaven and the new earth. We find ourselves in this fifth act. This is where we live. This is how we function. And the Advent season is very particular in this movement of God's story because it is a place where we anticipate afresh the arrival of the promised anointed one of God. We announce His goodness and His greatness and we await him to come and finally and fully put all things right. It is a season where we celebrate and we remember the one in whom our hope rests. It is a season in which we remember and we celebrate the one in whom we find perfect love. It is a season in which we remember and we celebrate the one through which we can experience joy even in the midst of our sorrows and our pain. And it is a season in which we can rest and celebrate the one who has come to bring peace. You see, the fourth week of the Advent season, it's a, it's a time when we focus on the peace, the shalom that Christ brings. It's a time when we remember that He is, as Isaiah told us, the Prince of Peace who will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He's, it's a time when we remember what the angels announced, that He is the peace personified that the shepherds encountered. But He's not just one who comes to bring peace. 
And he's not just one who is peace. You see, he's the one who comes to empower us to be his peace in this world. He's the one who comes to distribute that peace. Remember what he said to his disciples in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Today, today, this fourth week of Advent, we not only set it aside to remember the peace that Jesus brings, but to focus on two additional truths Two additional truths over the next several minutes, and one is this, is that we have no peace without Him. That the Holy Spirit who lives in and dwells among us is the one who brings us peace because Jesus has made peace between wayward creation and loving, pursuant Creator. And number two, that we are agents of His peace in the world, that you and I are called not just to experience experience peace, but to be agents of peace in the world. We've we've talked about this this idea of being agents throughout the last several weeks of of, of Advent and and, and as, as how as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a part to play in God's mission of peace, that we speak and we bring shalom into the chaotic and the frenetic world that we inhabit. See, that's the fifth act. That's the fifth act of God's story. That's what it means to be on mission. It's that we are conduits and we show God's hope and we extend God's love and we experience God's joy and we promote God's peace in the world. Now... now, how, how do we do this? What does this look like? Well, we're going to take a very non-Christmassy passage, and we're going to, to hope, hopefully experience a very Christmassy experience this morning as we look in Acts chapter 2 and we attempt to discern what does it look like for you and I to live the fifth act in the world in which we inhabit. And we're going to do this by taking a trip back to the world in which the apostles inhabited themselves, back to Acts chapter 2. And see what actually happened when the Spirit of God descended at Pentecost and He empowered them to become His emissaries in the world. I'm just going to keep clicking until I see something on this screen. I'll do this. There we Okay, maybe that's part of it. Maybe pointing it at the screen doesn't work. Why are you all mean to me? I don't feel peace in this moment. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 um, reads, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This is talking about the disciples, the, the apostles specifically. They were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues, literally in, in, in this moment, this, this idea here is, is talking about the, 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 the organ, right? This, the, 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 the little tongue in your mouth, right? It was hovering above their heads, right? They saw tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Now, again, it's, a, it's, it's the same word, but the context clues here let us know that this isn't, not, it's not talking about the organ, it's talking about the languages with, with, which, which, which with they spoke as the Spirit enabled them. Ancient Israel, my friends, had three annual pilgrimage feasts, feasts during which people from all over the world would would pick up and they would make a trip to Jerusalem in order to worship. The first was Passover. Passover is very common. We, we, We recognize this. It was the celebration and the commemoration of God's rescue of the people from Egyptian slavery. It was the night where the the death angel had passed over, where everyone was gathered, where they ate the the bread and they drank the cup. It was the the, uh, celebration that Jesus reinstituted as he was celebrating the Last Supper with his disciples. That was the first of the pilgrimage feasts of Israel. The second was the 
was the feast or the festival of booths or tabernacle. And, and this was at the beginning of, of harvest. It was actually a marking of the ingathering. Um, I'm sorry, it was at the end of harvest, a marking of the ingathering or the final harvest of the year. But there was a third, and, and, and oftentimes I don't think we, we understand this, the third was Pentecost. Now, now, for most of us who are sort of on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, on this side of the gift of the Holy Spirit, we think that Pentecost started in Acts chapter 2. Not true. Pentecost was actually a festival that had been celebrated uh, for, for, for years and centuries before we sort of run on to this particular Pentecost celebration in Acts chapter 2. It was also known as the Festival of Weeks, and it occurred 50 days which is where the word actually comes from. The Greek word is pentecote, and and it means 50th. It was 50 days after Passover, and again, it was associated with the harvest. The fact that, that Pentecost was one of these three pilgrimage festivals meant that in this moment, as we're dropping in to Acts chapter 2, it meant that, that Jerusalem would be filled to the brim with Jews and God-fearers from everywhere that had come and that had, making, that had made this pilgrimage back to Jerusalem to celebrate the first harvest. In addition to the celebrating of the harvest, Israel still to this day celebrates the giving of the law of Sinai at Pentecost. See how this ties in with last week? Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. I've done this. It's not my first rodeo. It was a celebration of the fact that God had closed the gap and that he had given and spoken the law to Israel. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, as we parachute into this passage today, we're parachuting in to time and space where the disciples are having an encounter, a new and a fresh encounter that's going to change the way the community of followers of God, God's people, and the church of Jesus Christ function from here on out. We're dropping in to a time and a period where it's been 50 days since Jesus ate the Last Supper with his disciples. It's been 50 days since the feast of the Passover where Jesus instituted the new covenant. 50 days since he passed the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. 50 days since he passed the fourth cup of the night while announcing, this is my blood shed for you. 50 days since Judas ran out into the night to betray him. 50 days since Jesus uttered the words, I am he, and the soldiers who were his would-be executioners were thrown on their backs with the power of the word of the Son of God. 49 days since Peter's denial around the charcoal fire. 48 days since the deafening silence of Saturday, the day that these very followers of Jesus had thought that the last three years had been all for nothing but 47 days, 47 days since Mary, dear, beloved Mary, the first preacher of the resurrection of Jesus Christ came running to get Peter and John with these frantic words. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have taken him. 47 days since after Peter and John had run to that tomb, Mary had encountered the resurrected Christ in that garden. 47 days since Jesus had appeared to the ten and breathed on him, breathed on them his peace, giving them the ability to forgive sins. 40 days. 40 days since Jesus appeared again, and this time to the 11 apostles with Thomas present. 40 days. 40 days since Jesus has held out his hands. And offered his side for Thomas to experience him on the other side of the cross and the other side of the tomb. Forty days. Forty days since Thomas had fallen on his knees and said, my Lord and my God. Seven days. It had been seven days since Jesus stood on a hillside with his disciples one last time. And offered one last instruction. 
On one occasion, the Scripture tells us in Acts 1, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, here's the game changer. We can't live the fifth act. We can't be on mission. We can't be conduits of God's love, of God's hope, of God's joy, of God's peace, apart from the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. When we live in a world and we bring supernatural change to the world, it's not us that's bringing it, it's the Spirit of God, the Holy Trinity, bringing it through us because God is not just up there and out there. He is not just with us. He is in us and He is in the world through us, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. And then Acts 1 continues and it says... Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And they were thinking what oftentimes we think when we think about the kingdom. They're thinking, are you going to put everything to rest? Is everything going to be made right? Is the new heaven and the new earth is now the time when you're going to institute and inaugurate the theocracy where you sit upon the throne of David and Every other challenger is put down, and this is what Jesus tells them. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. How do you like that? Jesus tells his disciples something that my parents told me the vast majority of my life. It's none of your business. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be told that it's none of my business. But, but Jesus tells his disciples that, and by extension tells us that it's not our business when God is going to establish the new heavens and the new earth, but what is our business? He, just, right, he doesn't leave us without instruction, right? That's not for you to know, but this is what you're to be about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. For what purpose? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have been given the Holy Spirit, my friends, for the purpose of what? Witnessing the good news of Christ, telling his story so that in us and through us, God himself will establish his kingdom around us. One of the things that I, I, I love to do and I love to say and remind young people as they're, they're, they're going off toward college, every time we'll, we'll pray over people as they're, they're going through a commencement of life, is I, I want them to remember that my prayer for them isn't that God would make them would keep them safe, but that He would make them a danger to the kingdom of the enemy. Right? That they would be that they would be dangerous. That everywhere we go as emissaries of the Almighty, folks, there is not a place we go where our foot doesn't fall that we don't take ground for the kingdom. Because it's his. It's his. And with these words, Jesus was gone, leaving his disciples with very little information, right? This is what they had as they're watching, right? The angels come, and the angel's like, why are you stand, standing gazing up into the heavens? And they're like, but the, but the, but the and then before they could get anything out, he, there was this like, he's going to come again, just like you saw him go, go and do what he told you to do. And what did he tell him to do? He told him to wait here. How do you like that? Wait here. And in true human being fashion, they waited in Jerusalem, but they actually held an election. You remember this? Right? They couldn't just wait. They had to do something. And so they held an election to elect somebody to take Judas's place. Why? Because, well, we got to do something. But Jesus said, wait here. But not without hope. Because the Father is going to send you a gift, and that that gift, that person, will give you the power to tell my story. That person will give you the power to be my emissaries and ambassadors of peace, of peace to the world. And when the day of Pentecost came, back to Acts 2, 
When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what happens, friends? What happens when we live the fifth act? What can we learn from this passage of Scripture? What can we learn from this encounter and this experience? What happens when you and I see ourselves as on a mission to bring God's hope, God's love, God's joy, and God's peace to the world that's around us? Well, we see in the passage, and I think that we can see in our own lives, is that when we function according to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, dead rituals and ancient traditions come back to life. I know, right? Sometimes we poo-poo traditions and rituals. Sometimes we, we, we think about these things and we're like, yeah, you know, well, we don't. I, so at the college, um, one of my colleagues whom I love, he's a pastor, and um, he hates the idea of us wearing regalia at the graduation ceremony. And he poo-poos the regalia by saying, well, it, you, I don't like to play dress up. To which this is my response. My response is, oh, Casey, stories are always better with props. <laughs> Come on, dads. How many of you sit down for the tea party, right, with the little, right, and you wear the tiara and you have the little teacups and this and that? Stories are better with props. Come on. Come on, guys. How many of you didn't, right, when you were a young lad, you, you were a swashbuckler with the sword? And how many, right, stories are always better with props. Come, come on, church. We, we, we gather around and we, we, we baptize people into the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Is there, is, is, is there magic in that water? No. It's a sacrament that God has given, and there's a mysterious place where the Lord meets us in that activity. Stories are better with props as we gather around and we say, this is my blood and this is my body. You see, it communicates something. And I think we find ourselves in a similar place here. So often, I think that many of us who find ourselves sort of in evangelical church world, we look and we're like, ah, all of the, all of the trappings and all of the vestments and all of the accoutrements and all that stuff, you know, it's just me and it's Jesus against the world. But the reality is, folks, is that there is beauty and there is brilliance when we tell the story, and we tell the story with ritual and tradition and being reminded time and time again of not just how God met us somewhere at some way and at some time, but how we stand on the shoulders of men and women who have gone before us and we embody those ancient traditions, those sacraments, those uh, even the practices that we have that aren't sort of uh, means or, or, or communicative avenues of grace. I know many of us in our world fancy ourselves as mavericks and innovators, but, but what if the Spirit oftentimes uses the plodding and the steady. The pastor who continues to show up week after week and minister to the small church to love his people well and to be incarnated in his community. Or the elder who faithfully takes communion to the shut-in. Or the church member who is just simply friendly and kind day after day to the working mom who hands them their coffee through the McDonald's drive through window. What if the sign of the Spirit's move and living in the fifth act isn't necessarily spontaneity, spontaneity or a lack of planning, but a genuine encounter with God himself through invitation and through surrender? You see, friends, I wonder, I wonder if, if, if maybe those same words that the disciples heard from Jesus are applicable to us is that we wait. We wait in the space that God has planted us, and we continue to do the things that Christians do in those spaces. But not that we wait passively, but that we wait actively, seeking the Lord Seeking the Lord faithfully to, to, to show up and to worship together. Seeking the Lord faithfully as we, we, we neighbor well in Jesus' name.
I feel like that for most of my adult life, especially most of my adult ministry life, I've, I've prayed for revival. But oftentimes in the prayer for revival, I've, I've, I've wanted or I've desired God to show up in the magnificent or the spectacular, but I wonder if revival really starts, friends, when the Spirit shows up in the mundane and the ordinary. Revival starts when I lay everything down before the Lord and I say, here is my, here, here are the rituals, here are the traditions, here are, here are every, here's everything in my life. Now, God, you breathe fresh life into those spaces. We live, we live the fifth act when we surrender the everydayness of life, the rituals, the traditions, the comings and the goings of our life to the Spirit of God for Him to breathe life back into. Next, what happens when we... This thing is giving me a heart attack, not really. We live the fifth act when we find God in some of the most unexpected places. Do you think that the apostles ever expected the Spirit of God to show up like this, right? There was a, a violent wind that they were there, they were praying, all these things that were, were, were going on. Do you ever feel like, friends, that unless God does something so spectacular or so magnificent, right, unless you walk out and, and, and your, your, your manicured rosebush or whatever out in the yard is like burning but not being consumed, do you ever feel like that unless God does something like that, you wouldn't see Him and you wouldn't recognize Him? You ever feel like that, right? God has to write it in the sky, right? You wake up and there's a message written on the mirror, right, as you're, you're getting, right? We, we feel like that God has to show up in the spectacular, but, but what would happen is that if we would begin to look for God in some of the most unexpected places, you see, the reality was is that the apostles recognized him, and, and, and the Lord speaks in all these different ways and all these different times, but he always speaks to the person who is seeking him in a way that they can understand, in a way that they can comprehend. For Elijah, it was a gentle whisper at the end of the cave. For the disciples, it was a roaring, mighty wind. And sometimes, my friends, when he comes and when God speaks, it will confound your theology and overthrow your preconceived notions. If Jesus doesn't have the prerogative to come and for me to encounter him in a way that makes my theology uncomfortable, then I don't think I'm worshiping God. I think I'm worshiping a caricature of God that I've made in my own image. Amen? Whatever the case, the disciples knew that the wind that they were encountering, the pneuma that they were encountering was from God and the Spirit was blowing. I'm reminded of the encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus at night. Nicodemus comes to him and he's asking all these questions. And what does Jesus say to him? He, he talks about the wind. You see it's effects, but you don't know where it's coming from, my friends. Maybe, maybe one of the things about living this fifth act is that we look to encounter God in the places that we don't expect Him to be. The next thing, how do we live the fifth act? Well, will we allow God to transform us from fearful observers into courageous participants? The power and the presence of the Spirit in this in this passage in Acts chapter 2, gave boldness to the fearful. Remember, everyone but John had abandoned him. John was the only one that hung in there. John was the only one that followed him around. But this, this Peter in particular, Peter is, is the one that I'm really interested in because Peter had made this declaration to the Lord that if everyone abandons you, I'm not going to abandon you. And then when the, the crowds came, Peter actually pulled out his sword and, and, and I think probably tried to kill somebody, but because he had bad aim, he ended up cutting off an ear, not hitting somebody in the square in the head. And, and then Jesus rebukes him. You remember this? Right? He heals the man. What I think is really interesting in the passage is that it doesn't say that Jesus reaches down and picks up the ear of Malchus' servant and puts it back on, it simply says he touches his head. How amazing would that have been, right? Is that you look at this and you're like, well, there's an ear there, but there's an ear there. How did Jesus make the man grow an ear back, right? 
But in this moment, you see Peter, he's made this declaration and he's tried his best and he's even rebuked by Jesus for trying to defend him, to trying to bring about the kingdom according to Peter's understanding. And Peter finds himself outside as Jesus is being crucified and he's around this fire. Now, what's really interesting is that there's, there's two times in the scripture where there's a charcoal fire mentioned. And one of the times is when Peter is standing and he's being harassed by the, the young girl and the young girl, you're one of his disciples. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. The rooster crows, the prophecy of Jesus is fulfilled, Peter runs out and he has been completely devastated by his denial of God. He is a fearful coward who has denied Jesus and who has run off into the night. But what happens between day 47 and this day? Well, Peter's back on the lake and he's fishing. He's fishing, and they've fished all night long, and they haven't caught a thing. And some crazy loudmouth from the bank yells out to Peter and his buddies, have you caught anything? Now, this isn't the first time that a crazy loudmouth has asked this question, um, or even that this particular crazy loudmouth has asked that question. You see, this was exactly the situation that happened when Jesus first called Peter and Andrew and James and John, and I wonder what the guys were doing on the boat. As Jesus yells out, after all of this denial and after all of this pain and after Peter had showed himself not to be the courageous man but the cowardly person that he really was, when John looks at him and says, as they're pulling in this huge haul of fish, re-duplicating uh, uh, the, the, the first miracle that Jesus had performed in calling his disciples, when John looks at him and says, it's the Lord, and Peter jumps in and he swims and, and, and I you see this encounter between Peter the denier and Jesus the restorer on this bank. And what's really interesting in that moment is that the scripture, the text tells us that there was a fire that was there on the bank. Remember I said there were twice in the scriptures where it says there was a charcoal fire? The second time was when Peter was restored. You see, it's this denier, it's this coward, it's this one that denied that he ever knew Jesus, it's this, this braggadocious person that encounters Jesus in a way that it turns him into the man who actually preaches to 3,000 people on this day of Pentecost. You see, friends, Peter was the same guy, but what had changed? What it changes, he had really and truly had an encounter with Jesus. He had really and truly had an encounter with God. And the presence of the Spirit of God turned him from a fearful observer into a courageous participant. You know, I, I wonder that, that if maybe what most of us need to do is we just need to start doing something. We need to start opening our mouth. We need to start pressing in. We need to start being faithful and allow the Spirit of God to do His work in our, in our lives. The last thing... How do we live the fifth act? Well, we live the fifth act by understanding that the God of the universe uses us to overthrow the curse of sin, death, and the fall. One of the neatest parts about all of this is I, I think it's often overlooked, right? We, we kind of look at this and our, our charismatic brothers and sisters, we feel like that they use Acts 2 as a club to beat over the head to tell everybody that they need to be speaking in tongues. And those of us who were raised in more of a cessationist kind of a perspective, we, we look at this and, and we're like, oh, we don't know exactly what was going on there, but these were known languages and all this kind of stuff. And we get bogged down in the theology of the thing and we miss what was actually being done here. You see, friends, what was confusing used at Babel is now restored at Pentecost, is that the mission of the church is now overthrowing the curse of the fall. Remember back in Genesis chapter 11, right? So you got all this stuff that's going on. Humanity has fallen. Cain has killed Abel. Um, the, the, Noah and his sons, you have all of these things that have gone on. And then at Babel, what happens is the human beings, they use the, the, the beauty and the power of the Imago Dei within them to build a monument to their own devices, we build a monument to self and human worship. And what does God do? The scripture says that God comes down and he confuses the languages. Why? Because it's in that judgment that God actually allows us and forces humanity to go and to do the mission that we've been placed here to do, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, subdue it. And in that judgment is a grace of obedience unto God. 
But see, we weren't created with all the confusion. We, we weren't conf- created in that way. And what happens at Pentecost is that we see that as the disciples get up and they begin to preach and they begin to speak in the language that they know. Now, now again, understand this. There was a common language in that day, and probably most of the people that were there would have been able to communicate with one another in the vernacular of the day. But what's the miracle? The miracle is this, is that when Peter preached, is that they heard him in their own heart language. And my friends, that's what the gospel does. The gospel cuts through all of these things that divide us, and it speaks to the deepest desires of our hearts. When we are living the fifth act, we utilize the Imago Dei for the furtherance of the kingdom. We allow the Spirit of God to speak through us, to push back and to overthrow the curse of sin and death and the fall. As the worship team comes to get our last song, this morning, folks. Pentecost reminds us that Jesus has come to tear down all the works of sin, death, and the devil, and all of the confusion, and all of the chaos, and all of the things that have taken place that divide us and push us down and, and, and uh, undo the work that God has done in his good creation, that the work of Christ has come to reestablish the good at creation and to overthrow the things that's, that the enemy and sin and death have been working to build. It reminds us that the work of the Spirit is active, is active in kingdom building, that we're building and we're making something that is different and distinct. And what is that? It is a kingdom that's holy, a kingdom that is set apart, a kingdom that communicates God's hope, that shows God's love, that expresses God's joy, and that establishes and carries out God's peace in the world. We're going to sing our closing song together. Holy, holy, holy. And as we do this, um, well, let's worship, let's focus on Jesus. We also can use this time to worship through our giving of our tithes and offerings. And you can do that. Um, There's an offering bucket at the back. You can get up during the song if you'd like and pop it in there or as you're walking on the way out. Um, And we also have the QR codes on the chairs that you can use to give online. Let's sing together.
Thanks so much for being here today. Um, just a, a little word. So if you're looking for something uh, to do uh, for devotions over the next week or so, um, a guy that you know uh, wrote a piece for our daily bread, and uh, I, they sent me 20 copies. So whoever wants, actually they sent me 25, I think. Um, but there's 20 out there. If you would like a devotional for this week, you can pick this up. Um, it's okay. It's not great, but it's good. Um, but in the little movement in, in, this, uh, in this booklet that uh, I just wrote for Our Daily Bread, it says this, a shepherd's piece. It says that Luke alone tells us this story, the story of the shepherds, the shepherd's angelic encounter. Luke's account gives us more information than any other gospel regarding the events that preceded and surrounded Jesus' birth. And he begins his gospel account by giving a sketch of his methodology, that Luke went and investigated all of these things, and then after he had encountered Jesus and investigated his true story, he went and he told the world. So my friends, this morning, as you have and continue to encounter the hope and the love and the joy and the peace of the Almighty, may you this week go and tell the world through simple acts of kindness, through smiles and curiosity, through love and mercy to those who need to experience the transforming grace of God in their lives. Go in His peace.